This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, dum-dums and dragons friends. It's Ryan. Obviously, this is the first week of our hiatus after having completed our fifth season, but we don't want to leave you without anything to listen to. And our company does produce a variety of other shows. So in this first week of our hiatus, we are going to introduce you to the pilot episode of our very second D&D series called Curse, Code, and Crown. It takes place in a fully original world created by Tom McGee and includes players Ryan LaPlante, Laura Elizabeth, and Tyler Hewitt. So we hope you enjoy Curse, Code, and Crown. And in just a few more weeks, Dum Dums and Dragons will be back for its sixth season. Welcome to Curse, Code, and Crown, a live play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast featuring a fully original world and campaign. I am the wizard Cronox, observer of time. Curse, Code, and Crown features our regular voiceover artists and improvisers, Laura Elizabeth as Princess Gwendolyn, Tyler Hewitt as Maka Deathcap, and Ryan LaPlante as Duncan Kindano, alongside our dungeon master, the incredible Tom McGee. So get ready for an adventure including thrills, chills, and hope for a brighter tomorrow. It's time for Curse, Code, and Crown! Our story begins at the end. A lot of people assumed that because they had done well once, or because someone else had done well once, that they didn't need to bother to do well anymore. People had grown complacent, and the world had begun to suffer for it. Not that many people noticed going about their daily business, the affairs of court, the affairs of the world. But slowly and surely, things were beginning to fall apart. And so we begin at the end, when all hope was lost. That is, until an old turtle decided to leave his swamp. Welcome to Curse, Code, and Crown, the new Dum Dums and Dice adventure uh, here on our network. Uh, this is an adventure I'm very excited about, and it's uh, brand new, and we're just kicking it off right now. So before we get underway, uh, my name is Tom McGee. Uh, I will be your DM for this ride. Um, actors, don't introduce your characters yet, uh, but if you just go around and say who you are for, uh, for those listening at home, that'd be great. Tom, you know the order we're in on your screen. Can you tell us who should go first? <laughs> I sure can. Uh, Tyler, you are to my left. Um, and if you're watching this, to your left as well. Um, oh, you're not talking to me when you're talking about me watching it. No, <laughs> sorry. It. Tyler, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> my name's Tyler Hewitt. Um, and I'm playing a secret character that you're not allowed to know about at this time. So it's not to deal with that. 
Uh, Laura, you are in the bottom left of our screen. Uh, oh. Who are you? Hello, I'm Laura Elizabeth, and I am a being, maybe? You'll Excellent. find out. Yep. <laughs> she is a gaseous form. I did this in the right order for reals. Uh, yes, Tyler, directly beneath you. Uh, and uh, Ryan, you're in the bottom right. Yeah, I'm Ryan LaPlante, and my name is Ryan. <laughs> Great. Nailed it. Um, so uh, this is a brand new adventure we're building from scratch. Uh, so thank you for going on this journey with us. Um, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. So it is a momentous day in the floating kingdom of Orvel. Uh, after years and years of isolation, years and years of being cut off from the rest of the world, it has floated without a care above. Finally, a delegation is arriving from the Downlow. Uh, the Downlow is uh, the main surface of the planet uh, where all manner of, of, of people and creatures live, uh, none of whom are m of much concern uh, to the mighty kingdom of Orvel. On this particular day, King Valdrin Kin Solaris is expecting a guest, uh, a guest from the Consortium of Bleen, um, a merchant and shipping conglomerate uh, that kind of controls the central islands of the Downlow. Uh, they have reached out to him in dire need of assistance, and it would have to be dire uh, for them to contact Orvel because the Kingdom of Humanity has been cut off uh, from the rest of the world for quite some time, content with its own affairs of court and the, the business of running the state. And so on this day, this day of days, uh, the Consortium has sent a desperate, desperate band uh, to attempt to cure a curse that is slowly killing their business and possibly their race. Amongst this delegation, there is uh, a bit of a strange character, um, a strange turtle who doesn't quite fit with the rest of his uh, turtle companions uh, from Bleen. For years and years, he's lived in the swamps and uh, was only ever really consulted on mystical matters or by people who believed in the, the old mystical ways that have very little to do with business and with commerce and uh, with the way of the world. And as a result, um, it was a surprise to all involved uh, to hear that he had been included in this particular expedition. And it is with him that we begin our tale as he first sets foot after climbing the long, long bending and swaying staircase that has been built into the uh, massive chain that tethers uh, the floating kingdom to the down low. As he and his uh, fellow delegates arrive and set foot in the floating kingdom of Orvel. So Tyler, uh, can you tell us what you look like, what your name is, and uh, what the first thing you notice about this flying, floating kingdom of humanity is? Uh, yes, okay, so I am uh, Maka Deathcap. Um, I am a turtle, meaning I am basically a turtle uh, tortoise person. Um, uh, we walk on two legs and, and, and stand upright, sort of. Our heads kind of come jutting out the way a, a, a turtle's would from its shell. We do have massive shells as well. Um, I look a pretty different from my turtle um, companions. Um, most turtles are, like, green or blue in hue. Uh, my, uh, my skin is uh, gray, uh, and I have a uh, black shell. Um, there also appear to be a number of, uh, fungal growths coming up out of my shell, and even some starting to, um, uh, kind of, uh, change and warp 
the shape of my turtle-y face. My, my, one of my eye sockets is kind of like bulging a little. Um, my eyes are completely white. Uh, and I have uh, painted on my forehead a uh, crescent moon uh, pointing downwards. Uh, and that same crescent is also just larger on the front of my, uh, my shell as well. So the curve um, goes and down and the points of the moon go up. Yeah, almost like a smile. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But it's a moon. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, um... oh, uh, uh, and uh, just the last thing is uh, I'm not wearing any clothes, which isn't particularly unusual for Tortle. Um, their shells kind of cover uh, a lot of utility. Um, I just have basically like a, a really worn down um, and threadbare, like a, a net um, stretched across the back of my shell that many sort of trinkets and baubles um, and pouches are have been tied to and, and are hanging from. Cool. Do you carry a weapon of any sort? I, I do. Uh, I'm carrying a, uh, a mace and I also have a, uh, it looks like a slab of uh, like oak. It's actually uh, petrified wood um, that I have as a, a shield um, strapped to my arm. So um, Orvel is, uh, if you think of it as kind of a massive um, uh, floating, um, almost if you think of uh, what Sokovia in uh, Avengers 2 looks like, so like a sort of a chunk okay. of earth that is that is floating with a, a flat surface, um, and the buildings of it um, have a, a tone similar to um, kind of the, the shining, um, almost rainbow-hued uh, buildings of, say, Asgard in the Marvelverse. Um, or kind of the, uh, like a sort of a glass city almost. Very modern, um, in a still a very fantasy way, um, but r just bedecked with finery. Everything is is gorgeous and gilt. Um, a little bit like Nabu, like just everything's a little overdone. Right, okay. Um, there's sort of um, a number of pennants and pinions flying in the air, um, marked with strange symbols that you don't recognize. Um, and even just looking around, um, incredible care has been put into uh, making these uh, you know, interlocking stones fit on the streets, which are perfectly flat, um, well-manicured lawns on either side. Everything seems to be very much in its place. Um, bit of a Final Fantasy X vibe, if you've played that game, um, where everything's oh, yeah. very bright and colorful um, and just a little overly slick. Um, like walking into the Apple store. Um, the entire uh, island is held aloft by these sort of massive um, wings on each kind of, uh, that sort of ring the edge uh, of the island um, that are, think like almost massive solar panels that are all kind of flapping in irregular time to keep the uh, the floating island aloft. So they're mechanical? Yes. Okay. Um, oh, to your eye. Yeah. Um, it looks like something that could be run by a steam engine. You're not quite sure of the mechanics of it, uh, but it's certainly enough to keep uh, the island aloft. Okay. Um, so you've just sort of, um, again, had a, a massive climb uh, up the, the the sort of huge chain that tethers, uh, uh, known as the tether that um, keeps Orvel from uh, just drifting around the world. Um, it's It's been a, a considerable climb. Um, I think you're probably not too used to inclines. Um, but then again, neither are your companions. So the right. delegation is headed up by Presidentia Umos, um, who is a, um, a turtle. Um, she only has one arm. Um, her other um, arm is uh, uh, was uh, lost when she was young, uh, and she has a very ornate 
cap over her um, that side of, of the shell that almost think like a half cape. Um, but if it was made of, of gold and kind of woven into um, into her her shell, um, her shell is painted in all variety of colors. Um, it's very to your eye um, uh, unnecessary. Uh, you have trinkets and baubles, but this this seems like the work. Um, like it's like she had to sit in a makeup chair uh, right. on a like a special effects laden film. Mm-hmm. Um, so very very overdone. Um, and around. Uh, her neck, um, around the front, uh, she wears a symbol of office, um, which is um, a beautiful ancient abacus um, that uh, denotes kind of um, it's uh, it's a sign of respect um, and uh, shows that um, sort of she is uh, is responsible for keeping the checks and balances of the consortium in order as as the presidentia. Um, the consortium of Bleen is an, uh, sort of a number of uh, different tortle clans. Um, in the uh, the sort of islands of Bleen, which are sort of central in this world, um, that all eventually ran different businesses, whether they were shipping or importing or exporting, and eventually just came together under one sort of larger banner. Um, you left the society long ago for reasons we'll get into as we go, uh, that you and I have discussed, but um, when they came to your swamp and, and asked for your aid, your concern for the, the health of, of uh, the swamp and uh, the help of the people meant that you joined up with them. Um, so it's uh, the Presidentia with her is um, her sort of the captain of the guard, um, who is uh, First Sword Chestnut Kell, um, who is, uh, think like a, a very... Um, his shell has been uh, almost sanded down um, to act uh, very defensively. Um, it's very easy for weapons to slide off it. Uh, it's been greased up, so it kind of shimmers in the light. Um, and uh, he carries sort of a massive double-handed sword just kind of casually over his shoulder. Um, there's no hilt. This is just a thing he he carries, cool. uh, and he's got the arms to, to show it. Um, there are also uh, two other delegates whose names you haven't gotten, nor have you bothered to ask, nor have they bothered to introduce themselves to you. Um, but That's they fine. seem to be carrying a lot of paperwork, and um, and uh, one of them carries a, a chest of, of treasures. So what is the first thing that strikes you? Uh, also, what is your name? Oh, you, you sorry, you gave us your name. Yeah, Maka, yeah. Maka, great. So, Maka, what's the first thing that strikes you about uh, this this kingdom you've, you've just set foot into? It's all extremely alien. Uh, everything you described, basically, every, like even the most mundane details of what you just described are completely out of the ordinary for Maka, who lives uh, in solitary, in the swamp, in a bog, um... Uh, and he has very limited contact with uh, other say, humanoids. Um, mm-hmm. So if there's any, so be, be, all these buildings must mean like a lot of people as well. That's extremely unusual. Um, and because he's from the uh, the down low, um, it's also probably the, the height is is messing with him a little bit. Um, if there if there's, it probably isn't perceivable to the denizens of uh, this kingdom, but if like he might be a little uneasy on his feet, given that this city is floating in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's all it's all so alien to him. Cool. Yeah. Um, for your own reference, um, the 
people of Orvel refer to um, the planet beneath as the down low. Yeah. Um, to you, you know it, uh, the world as uh, the world itself is known as Gren. Um, and uh, you are from uh, the islands of Bleen. But uh, the, the down low is a term where I'm going to speak in Orvalian terms because uh, our other characters are centered here and our story kind of is focused here to begin. But okay. um, yeah, we don't look at ourselves as down low people. We are people not at all. Right. In fact, yeah. um, you you probably have never seen a human. Uh, you've heard of them, perhaps. But really, these these are incredibly odd um, short elves. They just seem like elves who went through the dryer one too many times. <laughs> okay. um, so um, with this alien world around you um, and uh, strangers, but less strange than everything else at your side, uh, you begin to make your way um, towards uh, the central palace. Um, in that palace, uh, everyone is running around. There is uh, complete and utter chaos. Um this is a day that uh, King Valdrin Kin Solaris has been dreaming of. Uh, and uh, pretty much everyone who lives near him knows that uh, because uh, he has always taken it as a great personal insult um, that uh, no one has bothered to visit, <laughs> essentially. Um, so this is a, an important meeting and it's an important meeting for establishing um, Orvel in its kind of rightful place uh, amongst the other world powers. Uh, and possibly get a seat uh, at the table um, that he has been previously denied uh, to uh, the entirety of the human race, um, but it's particularly rubs uh, Veldrin the wrong way. Um, so, on this day of days, nothing can go wrong. And he has just driven this into every servant, every guard, everyone in uh, the royal palace. They know that uh, if anything does, the Philosopher's King's rage will be, be fast and furious. Possibly Tokyo Drift. We don't know. Um, but full of rage and full of destruction. So uh, everyone is working to try and appease him. And none more so, perhaps, than his daughter, uh, the Princess Gwendolyn. So, Laura, why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, you are currently in your room um, as the heir uh, to the, the throne of Solaris. You are um, a very well-appointed room um, that you've, you've spent most of your life in. Um, so uh, tell us about yourself, please. Um, yes, my name's Gwendolyn. Um, and you can see I have basically long flowing black hair, um, very like princessly, like you'd think. Like think of like um, Princess Marjorie Tyrell from Game of Thrones. It's a good reference, but much more beautiful, um, much more important. Um, I wear kind of a sea green blue gown with little golden, um, uh, what's it called? Um, like threaded delicate flowers and, um, everyone else, um, doesn't really matter. <laughs> yep. And you can tell just uh, by the way I sit. <laughs> yeah. Um, your uh, sort of handmaid can certainly tell as she finishes kind of brushing your hair out to that perfect long length. Um, she uh, she kind of um, bows to you and scurries out the door. Uh, Gwendolyn, you've been tasked today with uh, a pretty with two pr pretty important jobs. One, uh, your father, the king, uh, has demanded that you keep a close eye on these quote weird turtle fuckers. <laughs> Um, 
because <laughs> having been cut off from the other um, uh, races and cultures of Gren for so long, uh, no one really knows what to expect. And uh, it's Valdrin's great hope that if you can get a seat at the table, um, you'll be dealing more and more with the people of the down low. Um, and he kind of assumes that you'll be carrying on his legacy after he's gone. Although it should be noted, he is hearty and hale. He's uh, just a, a young, handsome, um, think like kind of uh, if you crossed uh, Jamie Lannister with Phil Hartman, uh, just kind of kind of that. So like a little bit of smarm. <laughs> But also, like, there's there's some real some real like handsome young prince shit going on there, um, and uh, he carries himself as such. Uh, every room is his room, uh, every audience is is his audience, and um, he makes sure the world knows it. So th- your task, first task, is to observe this and and learn what you can about these 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 strange reptiles. The He's other being task, turtle fuckers. Yes, the turtle fuckers. Right. Yes, um, the other key concern uh, for you is uh, your brother Nikos. Uh, Nikos is younger than you by two years, um, but you wouldn't be able to know it from how often he opens his mouth in matters of court. Uh, For someone who is not in line for the throne, he's a mouthy little guy. And uh, the philosopher king is quite concerned at how much face he could lose if Nikos opens his mouth and blabs, not in front of the turtle fuckers, but in front of the rest of the court. Uh, as the princess, uh, you are familiar with with how the court structure is based. It's based on an ancient, ancient, ancient um, system kind of handed down uh, from the great unifying hero, Amalekin Solaris, the bringer of dawn, uh, who founded Orvel and is still kind of almost worshipped as a god. Um, as uh, like in kind of modern parlance, uh, almost... Like, like a George Washington type in terms of uh, we were nothing until this person unified us. Um, so the council is based on all the different jobs that exist in Orville, and everyone has a representative. However, the representatives were always overseen um, by whoever held the title of Kin Solaris, the philosopher, king or queen, carrying on the tradition of the great unifier, Amala. That said, in over the past uh, few generations, power has become increasingly based on the throne. So everyone's a little resentful of the dynasty that managed to get in there under the wire and declare themselves um, kind of kings and queens in perpetuity, which, of course, is your family. Uh, in this society, last names um, are historically rare. They're more common now. But as a princess, you're waiting on the big name, uh, which is Kin Solaris. Till then, fuck it. Uh, so to lose face in front of all these people who are hungry for the throne is very concerning. And you are too damn good at this for it to be your fault. But Nikos is still hungry and he wants to make a name for himself. So it's your job to stop potentially an international incident. Uh, and you hugely resent this. As you go to leave your room... Um, your eyes light on uh, one of the only remnants of kind of your your youth that you've you've kept. Um, it's uh, a doll that's laying kind of t- tucked half under your pillow, um, and it is it is a ratty ratty kind of ugly thing um, that was uh, handmade for you by um, the old captain of your guard, a man who was for a long time your only friend, your protector, your mentor. Um, and it's in the same way that childhood is often a bit foggy. You don't quite remember why he doesn't hang around anymore. 
Um, but you remember he always filled your heads with stories of Amala and her dawnbreakers and and the power of of kind of hope and unity and and what it means to have a code and to be a good ruler. All of which, of course, after years in court, you've realized is bullshit. Um, but for some reason, you just haven't quite been able to let go of this ratty doll that this this large fighting man made for you. And now, as you sort of step out to carry out your first official act, really, in court, um, you can't help but think on it for a moment and think on who you were kind of before court life consumed you. My question is, do you leave it where it is or do you throw it out? Um, I think I'm going to put it in like a little sack that I have and just okay. basically shove it to, into like the back of a closet. Okay. Gotcha. So more an out of sight, out of mind, but not quite yes, a exactly. full... I'm not quite ready to give it up, but because it means something to me, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Not quite sure what, but just... Get out of my sight. <laughs> Go. Dull. Um, uh, great. Tom, just a quick question on show tone, because we have, this is brand new, this whole adventure. <laughs> Do I, I'm assuming we want to allow swears, but if we allow swears, we can't put ads on the show on YouTube. What do we want to do? This might be I a can censor them up until this point, but after this, this I'm going to forget. This might be a pause and have a conversation thing that we... The decision was, fuck it. Okay, back fuck to it. the world. <clears throat> Great. Um, so, uh, Gwendolyn, you sweep out into the hallway, um, and uh, the palace was intended to be humble. It had um, plain walls. Um, you remember from uh, kind of your history lessons that Amala was, uh, was a nobody, uh, a miner who kind of literally like slapped together some armor with copper plating she found in the mine and, and managed to lead this army. So when she established um, the palace, she wanted to make sure that it didn't carry any heirs. Uh, but that was a thousand years ago. So now this yeah. place has been dressed up. The walls have been painted. Um, it's still, it's it's got a bit of a weird sense because beneath the paint, you can see that it is rough stone and it is, it is in no way polished or, or finished. Um, but it's been uh, definitely gussied up since then. So you sweep out into a hallway um, with sort of paintings of various uh, rulers of Orville kind of lining the halls. Um, there is a sort of um, beautiful but worn um, red velvet uh, rug that kind of runs the, the length of it. And as there are in kind of most European palaces, just like weird little half tables with random tchotchkes that are probably worth more than I'll ever make in my life, just kind of lining the halls. Um, and you step into the hall just in time uh, to see um, uh, Nikos uh, knock one of those uh, small statues off um, with his great sword. Nikos, what are you doing? Uh, Gwendolyn, dear, I was just practicing my footwork, no, and with no, footwork no, comes no sword. Foot, no, eh, eh. no footwork, sword down. Down, put it down. 
So he like begrudgingly like puts it in his sheath. Um, mm-hmm. This uh, you know that this is one of you know how like uh, the British monarchy has like weird things they just give to the people who aren't going to get the throne, so they seem like they're important. Mm-hmm. Um, this sword is one of them. It was uh, the great sword of uh, the first Dawnbreaker, so the first person mm. who took up the cause um, of uh, Amalekin Solaris. Uh, it is the sword of Captain Elos, um, known now as the Elos Blade. Um, it is a, a beautiful piece of craftsmanship, uh, far too fine for this young idiot. Um, in Game of Thrones terms, we're talking like uh, any of the kind of house swords uh, made of uh, Valerian steel. So like this thing mm-hmm. cuts like it's um, a European medieval greatsword, but kind of with the sharpness um, and balance um, of a katana. Just a very yeah. elegant weapon that in no way should be in the hands of this like 16 year old. Um, so he kind of puts it away in a huff, um, his entire outfit jangles when he does, cause he's got a ton of, uh, epaulets and like little dangly bits. You can tell he's trying to look like a general, even though he doesn't have any medals. Yeah. Um, is his name Nikos? Yeah. Nikos. Yep. Uh, um, Nikos, l- let's get this straight. And I just kind of, um, grab him very like roughly by the yeah. shoulders, like very firmly and just say like, you're an embarrassment to your family. You're an embarrassment to this kingdom. Any more of an embarrassment, and you might find yourself dead. Oh. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, please put me down, Gwen. And you're, like, at this point, holding him up off the ground. He is a <laughs> scrawny little guy. Um, think uh, DJ Quails in the earliest of DJ Quails movies if he was younger. <laughs> So just okay. like literally just arms and a face uh, is, is um, so his, his little his little legs kick. Uh, he's wearing incredibly fine shoes that um, the rest of them is in like combat stuff. But you can tell these are these are built for comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you, you put him down and um, he kind of like blows uh, his black hair out of his eyes and crosses his arms petulantly. Stay by my side. Do not say a word and you might get through this get through this. There's more to life than simply getting through, Gwendolyn. Yes, but you have to get through first in order to experience the other things. But I don't want to. Oh, shut up and follow me. Harm. <laughs> and uh, he begins shuffling petulantly uh, along the hallway, um, kicking the head of the tiny broken statue uh, that was once blown out of delicate glass uh, by... One of the first citizens of this nation. Um, Meanwhile, uh, far away from the palace, a different kind of glass is broken. Uh, This one uh, thrown at the head of uh, a man who's dealing with a job he frankly would rather not be doing. But the problem with a job is that one way or another, it's got to get done. Um, We find ourselves in uh, a tavern that is more stench than building. Um, it just, it doesn't reek of yesterday's beer. It reeks of the ghosts of beers past, um, as well as a, a healthy dose of, uh, vomit, urine, and possibly more foul substances. Uh, Ryan, um, your character has just, uh, ducked under this glass that was thrown at his head. Um, the entire bar is, is raucous. Um, the music continues. Uh, there's a really strange stage play happening that doesn't seem to make much sense. Uh, and no one has blinked an eye as this glass has been thrown. 
Um, however, uh, the three drunken toughs standing in front of you um, aren't happy with just one one weapon thrown. Um, they look you up and down, and uh, one of them chuckles and mutters, copper. Uh, Ryan, who are you and what do you look like? All right, so my name is uh, Duncan Kin Dano. Uh, I, I look vaguely like Paul Bettany if you add 10% of Jude Law. Uh, <laughs> So just a, a little more stern and regal, but very much in the Paul Bettany-verse. Uh, about six feet tall, mid-40s. Uh, he's lean, but he's clearly fit. Um, he's wearing an, an elaborate black outfit that kind of, it looks, it's got one of those like chest shelves in like leather that you see like bodybuilders and dancers wear kind of thing. And then under it is just a black silk shirt that just kind of billows out. So he's very lean. But he also has two daggers strapped kind of at either hip and a rapier. Uh, and he's a little bit sort of like me where it, the beard was lined in once, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of rough around the edges. He's got he's blonde, blonde hair kind of swept back that seems almost at odds to kind of the black that he's wearing everywhere else. Uh, and from wrist to elbow, uh, just kind of like it, it kind of extends a little bit over the palm. Oh, yeah, Luna. Uh, and then it actually curves over the elbow. He has copper arm guards that have just been like lightly kind of decorated that have been put on his forearms that he uses for like blocking. They're part of his kind of combat setup. Uh, and he looks up at the three of them. Well, I'm sorry about this, friends, but what I think is perhaps you should walk away. Uh, and he just starts spinning a dagger like over his fingers on one hand. And he's like, people make mistakes in the dead of night and sometimes in the day. And some people just are mistakes. So it'd be a real shame if one of you had to go home dead. Uh, and then you just hear a <laughs> click. Uh, and they look down and see that his pistol, like a flintlock style pistol, is just aimed at the middle of them. Well, you know, I can't guarantee I can kill all three of you, but I can guarantee I can kill two of you. So who feels like they'd like to dance with the Lord of Blades first? Uh, so the, the three toughs kind of look at each other. Um, and uh, the, the biggest one, he's got like a real like uh, he, he's got a, just a mistake of a mustache going on. Um, he uh, he, he kind of sways back and forth a little bit. Uh, and he just mutters. uh Ah, how like a copper to bring a bring a gun to a glass fight. You think you're all tough? Oh, look at me. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll break the dawn. <laughs> you're a joke. Why don't you put that little pea shooter down and uh, show us uh, show us what you got? And then he starts doing that uh, fucking Val Kilmer uh, cup thing from Tombstone. Where he's like, look, I could do fancy things too. And he just flips like a mug back and forth in his fingers in a very non-impressive way. Um, and then he's like, but I need all I need a fist. I don't need a gun. Well, you're quite the charmer, aren't you there? I mean, you've put all those years into growing that half a mustache, so it's probably time that you and I have a little dance. Uh, and he just stands up and shoves his chair back and he like sinks the dagger into the table and puts the pistol away. But then in a flourish, no one could see that he has like a one shoulder over cape. He just pulls it aside and then the rapier is out and the other and the gun is up in another guy's face. It's just like, all right, I lied. I can take the three of you. Here's the interesting thing about being a copper, as you like to call it. I'm judge, jury and executioner. 
So you can all just die here or you can fuck off. I vote you choose real quick by turning around and walking away. Because the one thing I've learned is that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will make me shoot you. Uh, and he just <laughs> cocks back the hammer and I would like to intimidate them if possible. Tom. Yeah, all right, go ahead. <laughs> First die roll of the game, baby. Hey. All right, and that is a 23 for intimidation. Ooh. I suppose that'll do, level one character. That'll do. Jesus um, Christ. So, um, there's a, a guy who's wearing, like, what is unfortunately an incredibly fashionable hat. And, like, you just kind of wish all three of these guys just, like, looked in some way repellent to you. But, like, this guy's really pulling it off. Uh, so, Fancy Hat um, just, like, puts a hand on uh, on Mistake Stash's shoulder. And he's like, uh, listen, uh, Gerald, I think we should go, man. Uh, this guy, this guy means trouble. Uh, and I know he's a copper, but, like... What if he's like the old ones, like the scary ones from from the Bard's Tales and from that play? And you look to the stage and it's like a guy wearing like a giant sun around his chest being like, Tis I, you shall face the Lord of Blades. Um, and then he like trips on his cape. Uh, and uh, Duncan, this this kind of shit just, just salt in the wound, man, every time. Um, but uh, the other two thugs are definitely like, clearing back uh and mistake stash starts to do that weird like tough guy retreat where he's like edging back while still trying to look tough um and he's like just just know you you haven't heard the last of me gerald of riveria and then uh he throws his mug down um and uh it shatters on the ground and uh he he stumbles out the back door great i click back the hammer and aim at his friend and i go i will go outside and kill him if you don't leave your hat uh, fancy hat looks like looks at his like takes his hat off and holds it in his hands and like Sarah McLaughlin's I will remember you starts playing um, and he's just like goodbye old friend and he kisses the hat and then he he puts it on the ground um, remarkably he has incredibly good hair like this guy is just there's a lot going on here um, and then just kind of like leaving his hand like trailing like a <laughs> Like someone standing on the shore watching a boat disappear, <laughs> he uh, he exits out uh, out with his companions. And I, uh, I, I pick up the hat and yell after him. Find yourself some new friends, or you're not gonna be so pretty the next time I see you. Uh, and then I put the hat Kay. on and I sit. <laughs> uh, I can appreciate a man who takes advice. Uh, and then I just put the hat on. Uh, what does the hat look like? <laughs> just told me it, was um, it is. Uh, it is um, sort of a, a beautiful, wide-brimmed hat. Um, sort of a single feather in it. Um, Ooh, yeah. Think, think like um, uh, like a musketeer hat. Uh, so like, um, very good for sweeping off uh, for dramatic bows. Um, good enough that you could like uh, give someone some like clever eye from under the brim. Um, but the, this style of hat is relatively new. It's kind of come in in the last couple of years. Um, one of the uh, interesting things that you've always found frustrating um, about life in Orville is because of the amount of prosperity, trends change constantly for the sake of new things. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so you're constantly seeing people just dump extraordinary sums on whatever new thing was just added or invented. Weirdly, this is a bit of a throwback. Um, there's kind of a retro phase hitting the streets right now. Um, and I think maybe what attracts you to the hat, Duncan, is this This looks like 
something from like a hundred years ago that's somehow come back around and that's that's kind of nice compared to the new the other new stuff yeah i've seen it like paintings on walls of things like yeah where it's got that that old school vibe yeah cool. yeah like it's a little bit off it's slightly more breathable and like lightweight and, and honestly that's actually probably a good thing but yeah it's it it speaks to the kind of uh um historical romantic in you of of something that um has lasted the test of time um, so with that, you, um, you having kind of, uh, run these thugs off, um, you sit back down, uh, at the bar, um, and, uh, the, uh, the bartender who is a, um, just kind of a, a perpetually smiling, um, man with, uh, sort of a, um, kind of a Captain Hook style mustache going on, um, and like small braided mutton chops, um, uh, and otherwise just bald as a cue ball. Um, comes over and um, he uh, he starts pouring you a drink. What do you think uh, Duncan's drink of choice is? <sighs> okay, I've already been in a fight here. How how often do I get challenged to fight in this bar, Tom? Um, I think lots of people get challenged to fight in this bar a lot, um, but uh, coppers aren't welcome in in this this part of town. Um, this is. Um, uh, it's called the Docks. Uh, there isn't actually a dock anywhere near here, um, but it's one of those weird archaic terms that's kind of been carried forward. Um, so this is quite close to where a lot of the factories are. Um, Orvel is fantastic at industry, um, uh, particularly weapons and armor, um, but uh, also, um, again, fashion, architecture. There's a lot of things that require manufacturing, um, and you are kind of in the district that deals primarily with that. Everyone's still pretty wealthy here. They're not wealthy compared to the nobles, but like, I don't want you to think of kind of like um, industrial revolution. Like, I have one pence to my name. Maybe I'll eat some bread. Uh, <laughs> they are that to the rest of Orville, but like, still very comfortably middle class. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's a tougher it's a tougher neighborhood. Um, and I think of all the bars, and there are many. This is the one you find most comfortable. And as a result, uh, the bartender Montalban is like, he's you're, you're, he's not your friend, but you're regular. And it's the classic like um, Irish cop thing in like cop movies where it's just like he knows you. He's happy to keep providing you with drink because he knows you're good for it. Um, and honestly, it's a rough place. Fights happen. There will be another fight in five minutes. It won't involve you, but like... Cool. Then I'm probably drinking ale. I feel like everybody else is probably getting fucked up on the hard shit, but he needs to be ready to kind of throw down if he needs to be. Yep. And when you're the guy with a sword and a gun, it doesn't do you well to be drunk sure. in yep. fights. So he uh, he pours you some ale. Um, Ryan, what's the name of this bar? Oh, uh, Bitter and Sons. Bitter and Sons. Um, that's great. Uh, so Montalban pours you uh, pours you the ale, and he's like, uh, "Well, uh, Duncan, you uh, you're certainly not one to uh, not cause trouble, huh? Uh, what did uh, what was the result this time? How'd you get that hat? You know, sometimes you got to teach people a lesson, and sometimes there's profit in that. I didn't think that was what justice is about, but you know what? The world teaches you lessons over time." Hey, uh, I run a bar in a bad part of town. Uh, you do not need to tell me what justice looks like. Looks like man with gun, man with sword, and uh, man with fast reflexes, no? 
Well, that's the nice thing about being someone with all three. You get these great arm guards and then everyone just wants to fucking kill you. Yes, well, that is the price of law, huh? Um, and then he, he goes back to... Um, uh, yeah, sort of, this is the same nihilistic conversation <laughs> I think they've had for five years. Uh, however, um, this time he notices that you stayed past... Uh, like, you're already here later than you normally would be. I think normally it's like you stop in for one to kind of get you through the next part of your day. But uh, for some reason, you've been here longer. So after he serves a couple more customers, he comes back and he's like... Um, Duncan's this is a, a strange time for you to be here. Uh, what uh, uh, What is so special about today? And um, for you, Duncan, uh, today's is particularly tough uh, because it's the first time Orvel has opened its borders in quite some time. Uh, as a member of the Dawnbreakers, the kind of um, royal guard, uh, the elite royal guard of Orvel, um, you're privy to some information that um, others uh, in the kingdom, including perhaps the princess, um, aren't. Uh, and one of those facts is um, on the down low, there is a wall that prevents um, the rest of Gren from reaching the bottom of the tether. Um, it's commonly thought here that uh, people just didn't bother to stop by. Uh, however, from your time in the service, you're fully aware that that wall is guarded armed and is is meant to repel uh, anyone who comes in. Um, and as a result, uh, the opening of the closed kingdom is always a, a very big deal. And um, you're thinking of uh, your former charge, uh, your former ward, um, the princess Gwendolyn, who you had such high hopes for, who has now just become part of uh, the, the royal machine. And the little girl that you knew would have loved a chance to meet people from outside but you're terrified of what that little girl is going to do now that she's a woman. So you look into your ale. Uh, do you answer Montalban with anything or do you just sit there stoically sipping? I feel like he just, he just like looks into the drink and he just goes, ah, same shite, different day. I and do. then he just drinks and looks out the door. <laughs> Great. Um, so, um, Maka, you are um, approaching the palace now. And um, I think where the rest of the delegation is actively trying to keep their focus off of kind of the distra distractions around them, um, since you don't really know court etiquette or anything else or diplomatic etiquette, you're just kind of free to do what you want, look at what you want. Um, your eyes are caught in particular by um, uh, there's a sort of a central, you enter a massive circular um, sort of town center. Um, it's a... Um, sort of a large marble space, um, and there seem to be benches all looking inward. Um, just sort of marble benches. You can see people eating their lunch and like just kind of going about their business. Um, and in the dead center of that, um, you see um, an old um, suit of armor that's kind of in that classic Iron Man pose. So like one fist down on the ground, one knee up on one knee. Um, and... Um, the other hand um, kind of like uh, open uh, palm up to the sky. Um, and uh, you can see that the armor seems to be holding um, part of a giant uh, link of a chain. And you realize that um, this must be the center of the tether, the um, large chain that you climbed. 
you climbed it to a point, and then there was kind of um, almost like uh, if you were on a lake, um, you know, docks have like a little ladder. There was a, a means of getting you from the stairs up. Um, but you can see that this is kind of the the center, and something about this armor kind of I think appeals to your uh, your sense of, of history. You can tell it's ancient, um, and it's not ornate. It looks so unlike the rest of the things um, that you've seen here so far. It's it's uh, rough, hammered, dented, uh, slightly rusted. There's some bird shit on it. Like it, it seems to have been here for a long time. Um, and uh, to your surprise. Um, a uh, you feel kind of a like a, a tug on your net. Um, what's what's tugging on my net? Uh, you turn around uh, and there's a human, but his size is even stranger than the other ones you've seen. He seems to be half the size of the rest of them, hmm. um, and you realize this must be what like a human child looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can see that he's um, like a young boy um, who's kind of um, run away from uh, his his parents. Um, and, uh, he kind of does that little kid thing where he, like, gestures to you to, like, lean down. So, uh, I'll do that. I'll, I'll lean down and kind of just grumble and just lean in and say, mm. Hello, little man. Oh, hello, Mr. Large Turtle. Um, I, you know who that is? And he points at the armor. Hmm, No. I do not. Do you know who it is? Yeah, yeah. Her her name was was uh, Amla Solaris, and she was really cool. And she like made this place, and that was her armor. That's what she used to wear. And now now it keeps us all safe. The armor keeps you safe. Yeah, that's what that's what everybody tells me, but. I just think mm. it's armor, but I think it's pretty cool. And I saw you looking, and often I look at things, and no one tells me what they are. So I thought maybe I would tell you. Anyway, um, I, I hope you have a nice day, Mr. Turtle Man. Bye-bye. Um, and you see him just kind of, like, um, start to scurry away. It's that classic, like, little kid thing where the fact of a giant turtle walking through town is like, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, you see um, his, uh, his father's kind of look and be like, oh, I, I, come back here. Stay away from that thing. Um, and they kind of grab his his hand and start leading him away. Okay. Well, that's the reception I'm more used to, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's like, for me, that's a Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to get a closer look at this armor. Cool. Um, so here's a question, Tyler. And I, I don't know this because these are all new characters, which is super fun. Um, what do you think when you're doing like when um, Maka is interested in something how do you think his brain kind of approaches an issue? Is it through, and I'm not just talking like mechanically, but in terms of um, like my, my brain's rigged for story. So I always try and put a narrative around things. What do you think his way of approaching things is? Um, I think his, what he finds most interesting about the world is how it fits into the cycle of, mm. um, of life and death. Cause everything does in some way mm-hmm. um whether it's whether it's anything from uh funeral rites and how they change from culture to culture to even structures and things that mortals build to stave off death or lengthen their lifespan although it, it's usually inevitable um 
all that stuff is still part of the cycle. None of it would be possible without the cycle driving you to survive. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at new things and puzzling out how they fit into the cycle, I think would be of interest to Maka. Or at least what, w how he would have to basically relate to such a drastically new environment would be to rely on the old ways, the ways that he knows. Okay, so I would say uh, I'd let you roll me a history check. Um, I would let you roll me an investigation. Um, I'm open to suggestions if there's anything you think he would use. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm just trying to figure out mechanically what um, that lives with. But I think I'm those fine. are... I was Go just going to say, I'm fine with either of those. Um, I would um, propose that a nature check would be hmm. in order, only because thinking that's like the, the, the lens that he would look through, whether yeah. that would be an accurate read or not. <clears throat> okay, so here's, objectively. here's the thing what I'll give you, Tyler. Um, so for Maka, when you're investigating these things, I think the delineation I would give you is uh, we'll kind of look at the three different ways he can think about things. So nature, if it's just purely, I understand the cycle, so I'm going to look at a thing and see how I think it fits into the cycle. Um, history, if it's unfamiliar enough, you're like, I don't quite know what this is, so I'm going to try and figure out how it would fit into a cycle, um, would be uh, a history check. And I would give you investigation if it's like, I'm going to fuck around with this thing to see what it is. So go ahead and roll nature, because I think you're a stranger yeah. in a strange land. You're going to lean on the things you know best at this point, I think. I think I think it's also like history is like what he's learned in his lifetime. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, I and dig that. In his time, walking, walking cool. around, and things like that. Um, I think investigation is like actively looking at something and taking new information and sequencing it together with other new information. Totally, like that's investigating. And I so, think uh, nature is like drawing on the knowledge of like the collective that he is kind of a part of. Cool. So yeah. So go ahead and. Um, kind of reach out to the um, uh, the spores and the kind of mycelial yeah, network, okay. for lack of a better term, and uh, and see see how, how you think this fits. So that is an 18. 18? Check. Okay, cool. Um, this to you uh, seems like someone who, in terms of kind of the life and death cycle, uh, this isn't the armor of someone who intends to live necessarily mm. um it is uh it's clearly um uh to your eye almost uh an adaptation mechanism it doesn't seem like as armor goes um this doesn't seem like i am preparing to go to war i will go to war this seems like war has come i must protect myself but i don't expect this to keep me alive there's um not a, a sense of flippancy because that's the wrong term there's a bit of a cavalier tone to this armor it seems okay. kind of like um in modern parlance would be like i picked up a trash can as a shield like it's what what do i have at hand that can protect me a bit blah 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 um it also uh seems uh very old um mm. this doesn't seem to gel with um what the if you were to look around the world around you right now and try and guess where it fits in your in the cycle that you understand the stuff around you is very different. It's extracting things and processing them and turning them aesthetic, like too much of a focus on aesthetic. This thing just seems purely functional. So weirdly, this is closer to your mace 
it's okay. it's yeah. a tool it's a tool it looks like a tool right right okay uh it um, also looks yeah as i said very old i want to look at uh i want to look at the chain that it's holding like i'll like Maka so, will walk over there and pick up the chain sure, to like so the, get a closer look at The chain at it. is, um, you can tell that it's uh, it's heavy um, mm-hmm. and it's actually linked to um, a larger. So the, the fist is holding chain that could fit in a human fist. Mm-hmm. That chain is in turn welded to a massive link that is uh, almost the size of like a bench okay, um, wow. that is going through the ground. Uh, and that tracks with the size of of chain that you, you observed on the tether. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah, so the tether, uh, just for visual, is like massive chain links um, and kind of um, stairs that have obviously like a railing, um, but that can um, gyrate a bit with the the movement of the chain. So mm. you can always walk up it, but it just it's not like a solid piece of architecture. Right. Okay. Um, you can tell this is the top of the chain. On closer inspection, you can see that um, what looked to be solid links from your climb um, is in fact built of what looked to be um, hammered down swords and axes uh, and armor. It looks like discarded pieces of uh, of war material um, mm. that has been reforged into this chain. Um, and yeah, to your eye, this is uh, it's it's a monument. It's a symbolic uh, symbol of something that seems to be important. And the founding of a, a nation, even though you're not really of a nation. Um, since you live in the swamp, uh, is something you understand as as being important and, and something that people. It's not your style, but you understand the instinct. Okay, looking around, the people don't appear to be revering this. Not at all. Sight. No. No. Mm. It's um. It's uh. It, the, everything around you seems well worn. The ground is well worn. Um. So it looks like the site has been here for a long time. Uh, but no, it's it seems as much a, a piece of the scenery as the lamp posts um, with the the sort of like torches lit, um, even though it's bright daylight. You know, there's constantly a ring of of things. It just feels like part of the scenery. In mm. kind of modern terms, it would be like um, people might stop and take a selfie if they weren't from here, but everyone's from here, so it's just a part of the scenery. Mm. Except to, of course, that little kid. Right. Right. Um, the uh, Presidentia turns around and just as glowery as a turtle can glower, just like puckers her turtle face. Um, and uh, she just says, Maka, are we boring you with our incredibly important mission to save our people? Mm, no, no, quite the opposite. I am uh, find myself overwhelmed here. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Let us return to the task at hand. I apologize. <sighs> and she like moves a couple things on the abacus and um, <laughs> turns and continues to walk. Um, so, Gwendolyn, inside the palace, um, you've entered the Great Hall. Um, the Great Hall was originally designed um, to be uh, similar to the Round Table, um, a massive space where no one really was above anyone else. Um, but you know that shit's changed. Uh, so it is a uh, a massive um, circular table um, that has been sheared off on one end, uh, and a throne has been built and added um, for uh, the Philosopher King. Uh, it is a um, a heavy stone chair uh, to imply the you know 
grace of difficulty and you know it's a nod to the weird kind of um minimalist aesthetic that was originally intended however this was also built by people who want to be comfortable so it's stone but it's like it's got like a pre-built ass groove and all that stuff to like (laughs) it's as ergonomic as a stone chair can be um you enter uh to find um your father uh, aggressively pacing um, circles around the chair, which you know he does when he's particularly agitated. Um, meanwhile, the rest of the court is kind of awkwardly standing, not at their chairs, but behind them, um, mm-hmm. just kind of waiting for him to sit. Um, and uh, as as you enter, uh, he he looks up at you, uh, and um, there's a just a, like a, a ghost of relief flitters across his face, um, and he's like. Oh, yes, very good. Oh, Gwendolyn, thank the gods you're here. Everything is going just terribly, just terribly. And I do the normal courtly thing and, like, bow, like, curtsy low, your majesty. Um, And he curtsies Um, back, as is the custom. Um, Yeah. And uh, And then I glare, is Nikos with me Yeah, he's he's still over your shoulder, but uh, you could tell the minute you walked in, that he immediately straightened up and started walking a little more, like, cockily, but a little more properly. And he does, like, a half-assed version of the, the royal curtsy. Okay. And I glare at him. <laughs> Gwendolyn, you know how thrilled I have been with the idea of these total fuckers arriving, that we can finally get our foot in the door with the lower-born creatures, but... I must say there has been quite a commotion since they ascended the tether, and I am concerned that this might turn into a bit of an incident, which, of course, would be most improper. Commotion how, Father? Gwendolyn, I know I have told you they are turtle fuckers, but perhaps I have not been clear. They are turtles. Literal walking turtles. They are a hideous sight. And everyone can see them. I truly wish one of the more beautiful races had reached out. The elves, perhaps. But instead we get these two. And one of them is apparently terribly smelly and a little bit mossy. Well, Father, if this helps, uh, when you said turtle fuckers, I literally (laughs) picture things that fuck turtles constantly. So this is mildly better, no? And... Uh, like the Phil Hartman like thin grin spreads over his face like a completely flat grin Um, he's like oh jolly good (laughs) constantly fucking turtles (laughs) like you Archibald Uh, and he just points arbitrarily at like a guy who's clearly representing like the chef's union Um, and Archibald just kind of like um, yeah, that's uh, that's me, your highness, always <clears throat> fornicating uh, with, with turtles. Can we uh, can we start the meeting, please? I've got bread. I've got bread that i got to take care of. <laughs> uh, and he's like, classic oh. baker, just bringing his deliveries to union meetings. He's a bread chef. <laughs> yes, uh, you know. The, fa- the famous breaths of Orville. <laughs> yes, the, the breaths of Orville. Um, so uh, he's like, how yeah, like a like a breath to, to ignore a good turtle fucking pun. Ha! In any case, um, that does make me feel somewhat better, although we will have to clean the entire palace once these repellent creatures are gone. How is... And he kind of, like, nods. He does a, a theoretically subtle nod that is very obvious to Nikos. 
um, and then like waits expectantly. All is as it should be, Father. Uh, here's a question, Laura. Do you actually believe that? Um, I hope so. Yeah, go ahead and roll me a deception check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deception. 13. His, uh, his uh, thin grin becomes a thin frown. Um, <laughs> he says, uh, the breaths have begun to get mouthy, as you can see, and if those bread fuckers are getting mouthy, it won't be long before the rest of them do. Do keep him in line. He is your younger brother, after all. As is my duty, father. There are all things in their place, my dear. Um, and turns back around, he's like, you may all sit, for I too shall sit. Um, and then he uh, he goes and sits and everyone, it's not like a, a unified, like, oh good, the king sat. It's everyone being like slightly frustrated, being like, oh, all right, fine. Um, so as everyone plunks down, um, Laura, uh, Gwendolyn is filled with uh, just yet another slight sense of, of um, a sinking feeling to some extent in your stomach as you look over this court that one day you'll be destined to rule full of assholes you don't care about and rituals that make very little sense to you. Um, Nikos comes up to your shoulder. Um, you can you can hear that the delegation is almost upon you. Uh, what is your last word of advice, command, or threat uh, before the uh, delegation from Bleen arrives? Um, I just whisper in Nikos's ear, said, listen, Nikos, if you're good, I'll give you a cookie. And it's kind of sarcastic. Fool me 50 times, sister. Shame on me. Fool me 51. Shame on you. I know you won't give me no. a cookie. And then he crosses his arms. Just be good, you idiot. I did it all for the cookie. What? Oh, um, boy. Uh, now. It, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Duncan. Nico Kim Durst. <laughs> This episode of Curse Code and Crown Sound was mixed and edited by Laura Hamstra, and the campaign was created by Tom McGee. Our original theme music was composed by Landon Noblock, and Curse Code and Crown's logo was created by the brilliant Decapitated Markers. If you want to follow our players or our DM on Twitter, you can reach out to Laura at EL Hamstring, Ryan at the Ryan LeBlanc. Tyler at Tyler underscore Hewitt, Tom McGee at McGeeTD, or you can message our whole company at Dum Dum Dice. So please join us again for more Curse, Code, and Crown! Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christian Manicola, the half-blind prophet. Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby. One True Artistry, Orion Birchfield. Lorda Bradovic, Noel Lewis, Scott Garland, Anthony Griffin, Jordan Neesmith, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Cade Peters, Richard Cranium, Anna Zed, Eric Williams, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Acrix, Cameron Ezel, 
Grandma likes D&D, Austin Nut Powers Fry, Stabby Stranger, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. This is Yanni, and welcome to Season 2 of Harlem Queen. Thank you for listening. The season picks up with the search for Michelle. You are listening to the Floyd J. Calvin program. And now, straight to the headlines. Manhattan debutante and socialite Michelle Mondesir has been kidnapped from her Connecticut boarding school. There is a tri-state search for Mademoiselle Mondesir, who is 15 years of age, Caucasian, and was last seen yesterday evening going to her dormitory. Stephanie is frantic and she risks all in order to find her missing daughter. We will find Michelle. There are troopers all along the New Jersey and Pennsylvania highways. That's not enough. Madame Stephanie St. Clair posted a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the safe return of Ms. Mondesir. You need to take down your reward, Stephanie. I will not. Those no-good couples are already saying she's dead. The connection between the debutante and the numbers queen is unclear. And Stephanie still has to contend with Luciano and Schultz plotting to push her out of her own turf. Word on the street is that it's Schultz. Who cares about a lost colored girl? This one is white. Fifth Avenue debutante, lot of money, well connected. And I want to find out why Stephanie is so fixated on the girl. Stephanie is highly invested in her safe return. What do you need me to do? I need you to cheese it. What about Sinclair? You tried to clip her twice. Is she pushing up daisies? No. We're going to get her another way. Even Halstein is suspicious. Is he truly a friend or a foe? She's putting herself behind the eight ball. There's something more there, and I need to find out. In the meantime, someone has to earn the money she's deciding not to earn. You have no power in this case, Stephanie. In fact, you're a liability. I will do everything in my power to get her home safe and sound. Listen up for season two. Harlem Queen is a recipient of the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council's Creative Engagement Grant. And once we all get through this safe and sound, we will have a live radio show of Harlem Queen this fall. More episodes to come. Take good care and stay well. Bye.